Well, I've had it on my heart for a while to get into the topic of worship and um, felt led to, to do so at this point. We're going to read in John chapter 4 and we're going to go ahead and read uh, the whole setup. But remember that what we're going to get to is worship. But I want to look, I just think it's important that we look at the context here, what's happening. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels as well. There's so much in this story. You could probably preach on so many different messages from this story with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We're going to look at it. We'll start at the chapter one. When Jesus knew, uh, verse one, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Dare I go there? It's just like the religious spirit to be offended at the wrong facts. You know, a friend of mine called it gossiping about God. <laughs> like, well, you know what they're doing over there in that church? Have you gone? Have you been there? You don't really know then. And um, we can all get there, can't we? I mean, they're offended that Jesus is baptizing. Well, kind of his disciples are. And anyway, they decided they were offended. You know, when you decide you want to be offended, you're going to be. That's what I found. Hey, how many have been there? I've been there. I'm like, I heard it. I don't like it. And then you're like, you know, the Lord just starts to get to you. You don't actually know, do you? No, I don't. Then you find out and you're like, you know what? I was being ridiculous. So... Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the property of Jacob, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about, ooh, I feel the anointing. Whew. Huh. I don't even, are you mad? Can you guys just feel the Holy Spirit? Come in. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked, uh, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Actually, it goes further than that. Samaritans were despised by Jews, looked down upon, thought little of. That, that really, if you were a respectable Jew, especially a rabbi, anybody of religious stature, who Jesus would have fit that category in Jerusalem in that day, and he was at least a teacher and a rabbi. Whether you didn't, under, whether you didn't accept him or whether you accepted him or not, as the Son of God, as the Messiah as the Savior, as the Lord, he was at least, he would at least fit into the category of a teacher, like a Pharisee. And, and uh, I mean, he was in the synagogue, you know, even when he was a boy. And so, for someone like that to even speak to a Samaritan would have been like demeaning themselves. And, and furthermore, the fact that she was a woman, I know this is painful to hear, it is painful. It is cringe a little, right? And um, but even among this is this is the culture of that day was that even like even if you were probably an honoring husband, 
the culture of that day, it was common for uh, the men to uh, that they wouldn't even speak to their own wife for extended periods of time. It was considered um, don't they don't. I'm just it's not, I'm just the messenger. I'm telling you how it used to be. All right, and so and um, and actually is in some parts of the world, but uh, um, but it was actually a, they considered it a waste of time. A waste of time that you were actually taking time away from what you could be studying the scripture. You could be doing something else more important, more pious. Isn't that crazy? So really, when you understand Jesus and the, the, the absolute, I mean, he, he, everything Jesus did as he walked the earth, he was cutting across the grain of what was acceptable, what was normal, man. He was offending people all the time with righteousness. Simply by treating women as equal, as of equal importance to men, which he did all the time. He had women who were with him all the time. And, and he actually took some flack, which we'll probably get to this story in a series on worship. Which we're going to, how many know, we're going to get to hear from Dave here soon uh, uh, in this series. Come on, Dave's going to preach it. Uh, yeah, you haven't heard from him in a while. And it's not because I don't want you to, like, but, you know, I, but uh, anyway, so I'm excited. How many know if you're going to do a series on worship, you ought to hear from your worship pastor. And, um, and so uh, anyway, moving on. Um, and so Jesus was cutting against the grain by simply talking to not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. Amazing. But unashamed, in full daylight, at a well, where there tons of people would be coming there. It's awesome. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Sir said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Yes. Oh, I didn't say that. He he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up from within him for eternal life. Oh, that's amazing. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Just in case, in case you didn't. Yeah. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Listen, can I just point out, this woman's faith is really amazing. Like, the, the faith of the Samaritan woman blows me away. Like, what Jesus is saying to her makes no sense. Right? To her. To her. She's still thinking in a natural mind. Give me the water so I don't have to carry this big old clay pot down here anymore. Really? I'm never going to have to drink water again? She believes him that he actually has some kind of water that actually she won't need physical water anymore. That's faith. Go call your husband, he told her. I love Jesus. He knows how to get to the root. 
and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. The word, okay, the word there can mean husband or man, but in this context, she knew what he meant. For, for, for you've had five husbands, again, it's interchangeable. So what he's actually saying is, you've had five men, and, um, or husbands, and the man you are now, that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Amazing, you think? Uh, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and it was called uh, Gerizim, and and, uh, and so our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is here. When the true worshipers, say true worshipers. That's us. We'll worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. Or, I like the other translation says, such for such the Father seeks. Isn't this amazing? God, God, who is like completely self-sustaining, without need, yet there's something that he wants so much that he seeks for. He seeks worshipers. <laughs> That's amazing. We're going to get back to that. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. (laughs) It's happening now. (laughs) I am He, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. Just then the disciples arrived. They were amazed that He was talking with a woman. Even his disciples, even his own followers were like, what are they amazed at? Not the revelation, nothing. No, like, I'm amazed that he's talking to a woman. That amazed them. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the man, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Isn't that amazing? What's amazing about that is that this is true about the, the prophetic ministry, which Jesus indeed was a prophet, right? But, but the prophetic ministry ultimately gives people the feeling when they receive a prophetic word from God that lands on them powerfully. One of the most beautiful things about the prophetic ministry is that it, it causes someone to feel seen. Known and loved by God. That's what I love most about the prophetic ministry. Uh, So, amazing. So, we come into this story. You've got Jesus at a well. The conversation starts with water. Then it moves to living water. The next thing you know, we're talking about worship. You see what happens here. And the next thing you know, the woman is literally, her life becomes worship. It actually says she left her water jar. 
she actually abandoned her original purpose. Her water jug. She said, I came to get water, but actually I met the woman living water. I don't even care about my water jar anymore. She took off to tell everybody about Jesus. It must have been a pretty spectacular encounter for her. I imagine she was pretty well known in town. And, 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 and isn't it amazing that, that she was a woman, right? They were amazed she was talking to a woman. And yet, when this woman went, there was something so remarkable. I don't know, I wonder what it was. But there was something about her testimony that was so alive that it actually moved people to come and gather. All right, we're talking about worship. Let's go back. God is seeking worshipers. You know, as we, there are many names. There's many names for God, right? God has many names. Right? Biblical names. There's only one God, let's be clear. Right? There's many names for God. You know, Buddha's not one of them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you, let's be clear. But, um, but, uh, but there are many terms in which believers are also described, right? First of all, we're sons and daughters. Oh, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. We used to sing that scripture song that we should be called the children of God. We're the children of God, right? We're, we're, also, we're also his sheep. We're, we're, and we serve God so that even though we're sons and daughters, we have the hearts of servants. And so in a very real way, we live to serve him, to bring him pleasure, to bring delight to the one that loves us unconditionally. But I love here when Jesus is talking that what he is actually saying, because one of the things that actually defines us and what you and I will be doing for all of eternity is worship. All of heaven is, surra- is, is aimed at the throne. Do you know, you can be inside of a kingdom and experience all the benefits of the kingdom But how many know that there's a place that is more glorious than any other part of the kingdom? And it's called the throne room. You go into the king's courts, you're going to find splendor. And in there, there's going to be, oh, it's, you know, it's going to be majestic. Imagine Solomon's, you know, throne room, for instance. I saw a throne room in Germany. That's just earthly splendor. But in heaven, it's about worship. God is seeking worshipers. What is worship? Worship is... We're going to talk about what worship is, okay? We're going to start with the basics. Worship is the directing of oneself towards something or someone. Okay, so you are actually, human beings are actually worshipers. Have you ever met somebody who doesn't aim their passion at something? You might not even notice it right away, right? But like... And when, like I, you know what? I was at a gas station filling up, filling up my car, and uh, and I look over, and I notice something about this older retired couple, and uh, their car was decked out in their favorite college team. How many sports fans in here? Cool. God bless you. And and um, and I think it's awesome. And but they. But they, it was, they was decked out. I mean, they were. It was to the point where, to me, the message I got is, 
this is who we are. We are this team's fans. Like, we're identify. It's our identity, actually. I mean, we're wearing sweaters. We got car seat covers, our license plate. We got stickers. I mean, it was... I'm going to say, I'm not just saying... I mean, like, the fan of fans. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus the King of Kings. These guys were the fan of fans. And, um... Sorry, that may be too far for some. But, um... Let me get back on track. Directing oneself towards something or someone, right? Some people direct their lives away from God towards pleasure. Some towards the making of money. Some towards a sport, a hobby, whatever it may be. But the fact is, you will direct your energy, your attention. You will set your mind and your your affections on something. It might be food. Whatever it will be. And the reason is, is because it is in your actual DNA, even your, your spiritual DNA, to be a worshiper. And you cannot, un, you cannot, you cannot become, you cannot unbecome a worshiper. That, would that make sense? You can't, you, you cannot avoid worshiping. The faculties of the mind, the affections of the heart, your own will. Worship involves the willful humbling of oneself ultimately before God. This is what I love about worship. Is why, What I really love is God. That's why we worship. The purpose to live in a way... So worship involves a heart that says, I want to live my life in a way that brings glory and honor to God. I want you to look at my life I, I want wherever I go in the workplace, in town, wherever I go, I want to live my life in a way that honors him, that brings attention to Jesus. It's great when somebody asks you what's different about you. Then you get to tell them. We worship because we're worshipers, right? Jesus said that true worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Let's talk about spirit. You know, why, why is this important for us? Because as a community that camps around the presence of God, do you know the best way to host the presence of God is to exalt him? You know, I used to pray prayers like, God, I, I, still, I, still, I still pray hungry, hungry prayers. They're just more faith-filled than they used to be. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, like when I'm asking... I believe that I'm going to, I'm receiving it. So I'm, I don't feel, I don't feel like, please God, please God, desperate. You know, kids go, I'm starving. You're not starving, you're hungry. Starving is when you're hungry and you can't get food. Right? It's the same way with God. I'm not starving, I'm hungry, but I'm hungry for the feast that's available to me. And so when I go, God, do this in my life. God, pour this into my life. God, Change me. Do this work, Lord. I know that he is. I actually know that the reason I'm praying the prayer is because he's already decided he wants to do that in my life. I wouldn't even be praying that prayer if he wasn't already moving on my heart to pray it. So the sign for me, my own prayers are a sign of God's movement in my heart and soul. Oh, isn't that good news? People go like, I just want to be more humble. like, Great news. The fact that you even say that tells me that you have some level of humility already working in your life. Because pride wouldn't say I want to be more humble. 
So we worship because I almost skipped ahead. We worship because we're worshipers. We worship because he's worthy. What is the spirit? What does it mean? Anybody? What does it mean to worship in spirit? Your heart? Yeah, your soul. Somebody said connection, I think I heard. The spirit has to do with the unseen. Worshiping God in spirit has to do with the unseen. We see that actually in what Jesus is saying to the woman here because she's saying, here's what I know. She's starting the conversation with what she knows, right? Well, so oh, I see you're a prophet. This is what's amazing. She, she, re- she begins to realize that who's standing in front of her is more than she originally thought. And once she realizes at least you're a prophet, she goes, something's available. Then the true questions of her heart start to come out. Do you watch that happen? She's talking. She goes, wait, you're a prophet? Hey, our fathers say we're supposed to worship in the mountain, but you Jews say you're supposed to worship over here in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? Like, I've, I've had this burning question. I finally found somebody that I can ask. It's so powerful. It just comes out of her. You can see that it's been in there. It tells me that she had a heart. That God had been moving on her, preparing her. And so spirit has to do with the unseen and, and, and physically intangible. So Jesus is saying, no, no, don't worry about it. You don't actually have to go up on that mountain. You don't have to be in Jerusalem. True worshipers worship in spirit. Oh, this is good news. The unseen spirit means not bound to a geographical location and not a tangible item like an idol. Remember in the Old Testament? And what you'll see in God's courting of mankind is that he's been laying foundation for all the things he later wants to reveal. And he started with, don't make any idols. Nothing tangible. When the heart is yielded to God, worship is natural, intuitive, and automatic. Here's the thing. Spirit has to do with the heart. It's impossible to worship without yielding the heart and the mind. Worship, the word worship here actually means, uh, it has to do with like the kissing of the hand. It means to, uh, in Eastern culture, this word would mean uh, to go down on the ground, put your forehead to the ground, kneel before, bow before, or to prostrate oneself out on the ground flat. It's all, it's all terms that have to do with a humbling, paying homage, going low before, acknowledging the greatness of the one before you. It's a funny term. The, uh, they believe that this word possibly came from uh, like how a dog licks your hand. How many have dogs? I do too. His name's, I have a dog named Cruiser, and he knows I don't like to be licked. He'll lick. It's funny, like, people come around and he, he tries to lick and I'm like, no, no, sorry. I just thought I'd get away with it. But, but with me, he almost never does it because he just knows. He knows I don't like it. You know, I don't let him get away with it. But once in a while, if I'm not looking, he's just like, his tongue just kind of goes, Whoop. and he's like, I'm like, how'd you do that? You know, like, he's like and, it, and he gives you this look like, I couldn't help it. You know, I just adore you so much. I, I know you don't like it, but it's the only way I know how to show. You know, it's just like, you know, dogs are kind of like doofuses, but they're, they're, they're also very loving and affectionate. And... But it is a pretty humble thing, right? You're actually licking my hand to show me. 
Worship comes with, through a heart of humility. It's impossible to really worship God with all your heart and still maintain your own dignity in the eyes of men. It's true, right? I mean, you ever invite your, you get, you get your unsaved friends in church, you know, next to you. And, uh, I remember, I remember when I was younger inviting friends to church, you know, and suddenly it feels like a big step out to raise my hand. We do it all the time. You're like, suddenly I feel like this looks really weird to you, you know? But it doesn't look weird to God though, so. I think we need to be okay with making people uncomfortable. You know, sometimes we try to save people from God's conviction. You know that? Like sometimes we get uncomfortable when someone, this is a side note, sometimes we get uncomfortable when someone feels convicted because of our life with Christ. And so, so sometimes you want to let the Holy Spirit work. And you've got to be willing to stand out. That's what it means to be light. Let your light shine. You know? So, sometimes, like I'll just tell you, like when we're nervous, anyway, I, I really want to go off on that. It's true, though, you know, I think in our efforts to be non-religious, we've glorified putting a basket over our life. Sometimes. I think it's true. Like, I, like, no, Jesus never said, like, be careful. He said, let your light shine before men. What if they're uncomfortable? Well, you're a peculiar people. You're going to look a little different. They didn't like me. They might not like you. That's kind of part of being with me. But I really like you. Okay. That's worship. It's impossible to worship without yielding your heart. Okay, worship. It's powerful, isn't it? See, worship in spirit and in truth, another thing that it means, not only is it unseen or intangible, another thing that it means to worship in spirit is that it requires the Holy Spirit in your life to bring true worship. Do you know it's impossible to really bring true, holy, acceptable worship to God? God loves you where you're at, but do you understand that to bring him worship, do you understand that there were sacrifices in the Bible that pleased God and some that did not? That is the reality. The beauty is, once the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you are pleasing to God. So that so the blood of Jesus has washed you, you're filled with the Spirit, so to worship in spirit means, because the Spirit of God is inside of me, because I have I have had a drink of this living water and now there is a well inside of me. I can come before him and I can worship because his spirit and my spirit are one. And therefore, I get to worship in spirit. It's in the scripture. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. So worshiping in spirit has to do with the fact that you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you are a worshiper. Even on the worst day, when you don't feel like a worshiper, you still are. That's the good news. You can't lose it. As a child of God, you can't lose it. You can feel condemned. You can feel discouraged. And yet, in that moment, here's another, here's just a great lie to break off, that I actually have to feel good to bring God worship that He loves. Do you know what I realized? 
When I worship God, eventually I feel amazing. But sometimes when I start, I say, you know what, God? Well, I, just, I haven't had my coffee yet. Well, I, I get that. For me, it's tea. But I get it. But what I love it is that I can actually feel bad. And my worship to him is still beautiful. He still seeks it. He wants it. Because my worship isn't based in my feelings or my circumstances. It is securely based in his worthiness. And how much he deserves to be worshipped. Isn't that amazing? So I can come and I can go. You can come. You can go. I feel afraid. I feel you can feel insecure. I, you can feel unsure. You can just feel like maybe you got a, you know, a splinter. Fenton, that's, you can worship then. Maybe you just got a cold, you know. You just feel really cruddy, you know. But we don't get colds. Oh, but, but anyway, we are believing for divine health. But, you know, you get a cold. Like, I feel cruddy. Oh, my worship is still acceptable. Here's the beauty of it, though. The freer the heart, the more freely we worship him. Worshiping in spirit. Do you know, I've had times when I've been so full of the spirit that I find myself worshiping freely in ways that I might be a little more self-conscious at other times. I might be in a store and I'm just singing away, you know, because... Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, freedom. So, true worshiping in spirit involves the freedom that the Spirit brings. And that means that we may do a whole, we may actually do a whole teaching in here about the different physical ways the Bible actually talks about how we can worship God. Lots of its body posture. It's amazing. So, why do you raise your hands? There's actually a Hebrew word for it. Like, why do, you, why do you dance? Why do you bow? Why do you lay flat? Why do you shout? Anyway. Worship is an expression of the worthiness of God. What I've found is that when I'm feeling cruddy, He never is. So if I get outside of my internal world and I get into His, and I go, I'm going to take, how about if I get my eyes off me and I get my eyes on you, and then everything about me shifts too. How many have favorite songs? Anybody have favorite worship songs? I do too. You know... I think often our favorite songs have to do with the ones that hit our heart and connect to where we currently are with God. Or, on a higher level, and this happens maybe, and maybe it's the same thing really in your life, is that what God himself is doing in your life currently. You know, there's a United Pursuit album out. It's called Simple Gospel. You guys heard Simple Gospel album? It's one of my favorites. 
Well, they just released one. Well, maybe I'm behind the times. They have one out called the, the B-Side. So it's simple gospel, kind of a expanded. It's like a, another CD they put out. There's a couple songs on there. They're just wrecking me right now. They're my favorite songs, not because I necessarily like that's the kind of beat I like or whatever. It's because I connect with the heart. Now, when we kind of... Well, the flip side of that, funny story, Francis Chan... And you know, Francis Chan told a story about how somebody came to him after church and said, Pastor, I uh, didn't really like the songs that we sang today in church. And he said, oh, that's okay. We weren't singing them to you. <laughs> I was like, oh, Francis. I was like, that cut my heart. But, uh, but it is true, isn't it? You know, I used, I went to a church years ago and we would sing a mixture of like old hymns and new worship. And sometimes people would get a little squabbling going on, you know. Well, I don't like the new songs. Why we got to have new songs? We got old songs. Well, look, listen to this new song. We already got a song about that, you know. And, um, and, you know, we were human and we get, we lose sight of what's important sometimes. And, um, and, you know, for me, probably because I was newly saved and freshly surrendered. I'm like, you know, I got my favorite songs, but to be honest, if we're singing them to Jesus, I'm going to sing them all. Like, because for me, I'm not actually here to sing my favorite songs. Worship service isn't for me. It's for Him. And here's what is amazing about that. God seeks these type of worshipers. Do you realize that you have something Your worship is really the only thing that God will never have unless you give it to Him. Is this amazing what kind of God we have? That He would create us in such a way and that He would give us something, a heart. And He would make us what what Charles Finney called free moral agents. Meaning that we have the power to choose. And he would say, you know what now? I gave you something that you have complete control over. And I want it. I want it. I love you. I want your heart. I want your worship. I want your adoration. I want your affection. I want your love. I want it. And there's nothing I want more. And then we get to come and make the choice. And say, so, you know, I remember a guy, I, I spoke to a guy once, and he's like, I'm like, let's go into church. He's like, ah, oh, it's just the songs right now. I'm like, I remember thinking, that's the best part. That's the best part. That's the part we get to give something to him. Everything else we do is good. Like, we come, we come to connect, we come to get fed, we come to grow. We come because there's grace exchanged when the body comes together. We come because we're commanded to, because the corporate gathering is scriptural. It really is. There's a whole movement. There's a lie on the face of the earth right now. And actually, it's not a new one that says, why do we have to? They call it organized religion. And you're like, well, if it's organized, Jesus organized it because this is what he taught us to do. <laughs> and so anyway, moving on. But um, sorry, I lost my point. I got passionate about that subject. But it's not about our favorite songs. It's about connecting to Him. I remember at a Promise Keepers conference when this revelation really opened up to me. And it was one of those days. Nothing was wrong with me. 
I wasn't going through any trials. But I just had that moment where I just didn't feel like worshiping. Anybody been there? I just didn't feel like it. And I just had a simple thought that changed my life. Wait a minute. I don't have to feel like it. You are worthy. What's amazing is five minutes into worship, my head, I was getting my socks rocked off by God. Isn't that funny how that works? Worshiping in spirit means that no longer do I go. Like, I don't have to be on a mountain or in Jerusalem. Worshiping in spirit means the spirit's in me. So now I am the place of worship. And I'll tell you what, when corporate worship is really powerful, is when you and me are not just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, are in our place of worship, worshiping our King with our lives, whatever we're doing, if we're, if we're sawing boards, if we're mowing lawns. I got rocked by God this week mowing a lawn. Like, I did, you know, I was just pushing my lawnmower. I was asking God about stuff earlier that day. I get down, I start turning my lawnmower, and out of nowhere, the Lord just speaks to me so clear, and His presence comes over me. It stopped me in my tracks, and I'm like, oh, oh, thank you, God. That's worship. And when you and me live like that daily, you know what happens when we come together? An explosion. You know, David Hogan said years ago, he's like, he's like, y'all need 30 minutes of worship before you can even feel like you love God. You know, you, know, <laughs> you guys know David Hogan, he's just hardcore, you know. And I was like, hey, but yeah, sometimes you're right. You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, if we're all honest, you know, we know we love God, but. And the, the difference is, I think, is because sometimes we wait until we get into the gathering before we live out and let this river that's inside us flow and worshiping in spirit and truth. Worshiping in truth, this doesn't take much to expound upon. It pretty much just means what is absolutely true. Look that word up in the Greek. It means truth. Truth means true. And, and what it means is what's true about God is always true. And there's another element that I believe that you and I, that helps you and I out. And it is this. It's authenticity. That whatever state I am in, I can worship God. Like I remember, I remember things like this are mile markers for me in my walk with the Lord. I remember Amy and I, you know, we had, we had three miscarriages in between our third and fourth child. Two of them, the second two, were second trimester. So we held those little girls. And it was very, very tough. And we, we got to the point where we decided we definitely want another child. And also, I never, ever, ever want to go through that again. And so we, we just, no bitterness, no resentment. Clear hearts, some pain for sure. Said to the Lord, we're really blessed. We have three kids. Thank you. I don't understand it, but you are good. We're, we're really thankful for our family. Some people don't have kids. We're like overly blessed. 
going into church when the grief was fresh, when the loss was just new, going into church, being in worship, just a, a heart that's broken. I mean, at this point, you have little kids you got to explain it to. You know, it's not just you. We're good, we're good. But in that place there, having the revelation that like, oh, I'm broken hearted, but you are worthy. You are worthy. And when I do that, I declare that he is king over whatever circumstance I'm in. And his rulership is revealed. So we're a family here of worshipers who worship God in spirit. So it's faith, freedom, surrender, humble adoration. This, and I just, I just really believe that in this season, God is going to continue to expand our expression of worship here in this corporate setting. So I actually just want to just release this to you. If, if you feel like during worship, you just want to come up here to the front... Come up here to the front. You know, if David, the king, can dance in the streets, you know, and his, yes, and his, his linen is exposed, you know, then we can come up here. Like, if you want to, if you want to kneel, if you want to feel free to express yourself to God, and we just declare, this really is a house of freedom. We have such a rich expression of worship here already. But I tell you, God's deepening this for us, I believe. Because when we come together, it truly is probably the most, it's pretty much, in my mind, it's the most important thing we do, that we exalt our King together. Because someday... In heaven, if you go, well, you know, worship's not my thing. I know, it sounds silly. It is your thing. You are a worshiper, right? But I'm just saying, if you're like, well, I'm just really passionate about evangelism. So am I. I really am. I love to reach people about my day. I love that. Um, Well, you know, I... I love works of service, or I love the mission field, or I love teaching, you know, whatever it may be, here's what we have to understand. None of those things that I know of are really going to be necessary in heaven. So if we're training for eternity, I'd say the best training is to be doing what we're going to be doing for the rest of eternity. It actually says that all the gifts are going to cease. In heaven, no one's going to need a prophetic word. Hey, you won't need it. It'll be like, I mean, just the rate of knowing is going to be, it says we're going to know him as we are known. Do you get, the point I'm making is all the things that are so important to our mission. We have a mission here on earth. But the thing we do now We have an opportunity to worship now with faith in a way that later we won't have that same opportunity to worship unseen with faith. So we get to bring this to God. 
The other reality is, is that we're practicing for what we're going to do forever. I mean, I don't know who I'd preach to in heaven. I don't know who I'm going to prophesy over. Won't be any words of knowledge. Everyone's going to know. So really, would you stand with me, please? And I think there's this tension for us that there is a freedom of expression, right? In other words, you get to be you. You get to be you. You get to worship God how you worship God, how, how he leads you. Some people dance. But then you know what? Sometimes, even though it's not our thing, we'll end up dancing. You know? And we may not impress anybody with our moves. But if God is honored, who cares? We all sing. We don't all have good voices. But man, when we sing together, we all sound good. You know? So, Father, I just pray that today you would deepen our understanding of of worship, that you would take us further into the heart of worship. Because you'll notice in times, we hit different times in corporate worship where there's this unification that happens. And when there's this large amount of engagement in the room, and I'll tell you what you notice is that those are explosive times. I know that you notice that. If you spend any amount of time in corporate worship, you'll notice that it's all awesome, and sometimes it feels more powerful than others. We don't compare, but that's a cool thing to note. And I think that, and worship is what I know, that worship is our opportunity to bring something to him. So, Lord, I pray that you will release a revelation to each of us about the value of the worship that we bring to you. That literally, you're looking at me, and I could be standing in the greatest gathering of thousands of people worshiping, and to you it's incense, and yet you look at me and you say, Oh, I love your worship. It's not the same without you. 